You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. Hey, everybody! Welcome to another installment of the Savage Lovecast. I'm Dan Savage, and this is my once a week out loud version of my sex advice column, Savage Love, which runs in a newspaper near you. The number here, if you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720. We have shitloads of calls and tons of people standing by anxious to talk to me. And so let's get to it. Hi, Mr. Dan Savage. I love your show. And I have a question for myself and my sister. Um, Both my ex-boyfriend and her current boyfriend, who could be a future husband, um, are into porn. Okay, girly porn. And my question is about the problems that it causes in a long-term relationship when it's this secretive sort of thing, and both my sister and I did not get turned on by it, and it was not a part of the sex life. In other words, it wasn't enhancing our sex life. It was like this thing that they would do in secret, and for my ex, it was like, taking away from our sex life, I felt sometimes, you know, like he wasn't really interested, as interested in sex with me, because he was so used to objectifying sex that when it came to intimate kind of sex, he couldn't handle it. And I feel like a lot of guys use porn like that, in a way to kind of objectify the whole experience, rather than being able to sort of intimately connect with a real human being. And also, the porn industry, to we think is very degrading towards women. It doesn't pay them well. It, you know, it it uses them and abuses them and spits them out. So what's your take on the uh, porn industry for men and what it can do to our relationship? You want to be careful not to universalize your experiences. Uh, Oh, I dated this guy. He watched porn. He was totally fucked up. Ergo, all guys who watch porn are totally fucked up. Porn definitely fucks up some guys. Uh, Porn tends to fuck up guys who are fucked up. Porn tends to find a fertile fucked up field and uh, little fucked up things grow there. If somebody is fucked up about sex to begin with, porn can move in and compound a problem. But porn doesn't necessarily create fucked up guys. If porn created fucked up straight guys who are incapable of intimacy then all guys everywhere would be incapable of intimacy because all guys everywhere consume porn. It's just a fact of life. If you think your guy doesn't consume porn, it's just that you haven't caught him yet or he's really good at hiding it or he's through his porn phase entirely before you met him. But all guys everywhere sucked long and deep and hard at the great teat that is the pornography industry. Now, is porn the porn industry degrading to women? It chews them up. It spits them out. It doesn't pay well. The same can be said of McDonald's. The same can be said of all sorts of industries. Uh, Yeah, there's a problem with the porn industry. And you can howl against, you know, the coming of the tide. You can, you know, shout at the storm. uh, But you ain't going to stop it. You know, a lot of people uh, who have come to the conclusions it sounds like you've come to want to have this debate about whether porn should or should not exist. That's not a debate that any rational person should waste one fucking second having. Porn is going to exist, just like abortion is going to happen. And we shouldn't be debating, are we going to have abortions or not have abortions? We should be debating what kind of abortions are we going to have when we talk to the religious right fundies. Likewise with porn, you know, the lefty, feminist, touchy-feely, straight-guy bullshit debate about whether porn should exist or not exist – It's going to exist. We should be debating what kind of porn we have, 
not whether we're going to have porn. And by that, I don't mean only touchy-feely, nice porn, very egalitarian people lying side by side with nobody on top being dominated or thrown around. I mean the way it was produced, whatever is shown in the pornography, however brutal it may appear to look, we should be concerned about where it was made. For instance, kink.com is a great porn company. They pay people really well. And you might guess from the name of their company that it tends to be really hardcore BDSM stuff. They beat up guys, they beat up girls, they beat up everybody equally. But if you just like look at it, you think, oh my God, look at her suffer. You know what? She's paid really well. There's a clip at the end of the tape where she talks about how much fun she had. So that's actually decent porn to consume. And that's the sort of debate we should have about how it was produced, where it was produced, by whom, whether people felt good about appearing in it and they were compensated well for appearing in it and they don't regret it for the rest of their fucking lives. But not like porn should or shouldn't exist, me, 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 because this guy dated once a total fuckhead. You know what? You probably dated guys who were fuckheads who never, you know, bleh. I'm going to contradict myself there by saying, no, guys, some guys don't look at porn. All guys look at porn! I'm not contradicting myself. Grow up! Yeah. Hi, Dan. I have a question for you. Um, a friend of mine, honestly a friend, is married. Uh, he has a 14-year-old daughter. Um, she is uh, She's very smart. She's very hardworking. She gets good grades. But she's also fairly precocious and developed in a way that made him want to kind of see what she was up to and keep tabs on her. So he installed surveillance software on, on the home computer, and it captures keystrokes, and it, it sends him periodic emails at work showing what she's typing in. Um, one fact on this, he didn't tell his wife about the surveillance because, first of all, he doesn't think that she would be able to keep this a secret, and he, she would kind of blow this in discussions with the daughter. And um, two, he kind, of, he kind of wanted to monitor her somewhat, which is... A different issue. Um, anyway, he found out through reading his daughter's chats with her friends that um, it, it's hard to tell, uh, but it seems like she's sexually active. Um, she's 14, as I said. She she also it seems that she smokes pot. It seems that she drinks. It seems that she goes to parties and talks to her friends about what guys they hooked up with. Um, so you know he he um, he got kind of more than he, he bargained for with this. Uh, with this strategy. I guess a couple of questions about this. One is, I mean, kind of ethical and strategic. How do you feel about a parent monitoring their child's communication in this way? The second part is kind of, I mean, he's in a really tough situation because if it was a situation where like she was dating, you know, like a, a serial killer or something, he would just, you know, he'd be glad he had this information and would, would nip it in the bud. But now he's in a situation where either he can, he can choose not to tell her that he has this information, but just use it to keep tabs on her. But then that kind of, I mean, that kind of turns their whole relationship into this deceitful, like, cat and mouse game where he's going to be, she's going to be lying to him and he's going to be figuring out the lies and it'll seem like it'll just run through the relationship. The flip side is he can tell her and come clean and, and say that he knows what she's doing and talk to her and try to make sure she's safe. But then, you know, that kind of cuts off this line of communication because obviously she won't use the, the IM and that computer anymore to talk to her friends. Um, so he's kind of in a bind, and he's kind of freaking out. Sometimes when you snoop, you find out shit you didn't want to know, and then you have the burden of knowledge, and you have to decide what the fuck you're going to do with it or do about it. If I were your friend, uh, presuming that you are not, in fact, your friend, and we are not talking about your daughter and your wife, um, I would tell her what happened, tell her what I know, 
and tell her how I feel about it. Uh, obviously, your friend doesn't want the wife to know for reasons that you don't go into that this software is on the computer because he's also spying on his wife. Sounds like a really happy family. Your friend should go to his daughter, tell her he knows what he knows, tell her how he found it out. A lot of parents are installing this kind of software because they want to keep tabs on their kids. Um, it's a little big brothery, a little Dacronian, and she's going to be upset. But she almost has a right to know what dad knows. And the thing about shifting the burden of knowledge, uh, you know, entirely from his shoulders to her shoulders, too, is once she knows that she's not fooling her parents anymore, uh, the incidence of this shit happening may decrease because she's suddenly going to have this incentive to try to get away with it to try to hide it you know she's not the only sexually active occasionally drinking pot smoking 14 year old girl out there uh, or teenager out there it's very common and most teenagers navigate that stage of their lives that secret rebellion that secret life that they're having while they're still living at home with mom and dad uh, and and come out on the other side unscathed and a little bit wiser and smarter for having survived it you know that survival of the fittest shit applies to teenagers and humans too uh, and she may well yet, and she may well have, even without daddy finding all this shit out and confronting her about it. But daddy found this shit out, and so daddy should go to her. And then, of course, she's going to stop using the home computer. And you know what? She should. And that will reestablish something that she has a right to, which is a zone of privacy. She has a right to, even at 14, a private life. She has a right to, even at 14, depending on what state she's in, depending on how old the people she's messing around with, she has a right even to a sex life of her own without the knowledge or interference of her parents. 14 is a legal consenting age in many places. It's legal in all of Canada. I have a problem with that as a parent. I think 14 is young, but still. And if the guy she's with is 15 or 16, it's not illegal. So if she's messing around with other guys that are around her age, waka, waka, waka. But you got to let her have her own life back. Your friend has to let his daughter have her own life back and her privacy back. Now, if I were your friend, I would comfort myself with the thought that children exaggerate. People online chatting with their friends blow things out of proportion. They claim to have had experiences that they didn't have. Or they exaggerate experiences that they did have and make them into grand passions or big fuck fests or, you know, people who had a couple of sips of beer say they were so fucked up last night because they want to brag. They want to have, you know, they want to seem worldly and experienced. And so they overstate. And that could very well be the case here. And your friend may hear that come out of his daughter's mouth when he confronts her about what he knows and how he knows it. And he should take some comfort in that and not assume that it's a lie. But he should definitely talk to her about what he knows, how he found it out, and encourage her to ramp it back a little bit or a lot and to uh, save up her pennies from her after-school job and buy her own goddamn laptop and get a password and get it key protected and never let her father get within 100 fucking miles of it. Hi, Dan. My name's David. Um, I'm actually having troubles. My girlfriend right now, I'm deeply in love with her, but um, she has a friend who... Uh, seems to think that the only reason I'm going out with her is because I'm using it as a kind of like a booty call, something just to fool around, but I I really don't know what to do about it. I'm not a confrontational person, and so it's kind of 
making things difficult. I don't know what to say to her to make her feel more comfortable about it. And she's had some really fucked up relationships and it's kind of making things a little more difficult. It's just her friend Aaron is just making things so much more difficult for me because he's just making it seem like I'm not credible. And I really, I do love her oh, so much, but I don't know, it just makes me feel like I'm not appreciated. I don't know if he's trying to move in on, move in on her or something or what, but it'd be great if you could help me out somehow. Hey, I just listened to your message. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to call you because you sound so upset. Yeah. My first re- response, you know, my first impulse listening to your to your message and your description of what's going on is that you need to dump this bitch. <laughs> Which is probably not what you want to hear, and I probably, and probably you know, inelegantly phrased. Um, you know, if you've done everything you can to reassure her, if you've made sacrifices for her, if you've been there for her, and she allows this Aaron dude to pour poison in her ear and and turn her against you. You know, she refuses to believe everything she can see with her own eyes, which is your love and devotion, and refuses to listen to the words coming out of your mouth, and pr- pr- prefers you know, the attentions of this underminer and allows his words to work on her so much that she's putting you through an emotional ringer like this? You shouldn't date her. Because either she's an idiot, and if it wasn't Aaron, it would be somebody else. She's had problems with guys before. Oh yeah, whatever. Guys before, guys before. You can only forgive someone so long. You can only put yourself through so much grief and, you know, writing it off because they've suffered. We've all fucking suffered. You know what I mean? So she said guys before who were jerks to her. You're not one of those guys. That's what you have to say. I'm not one of those guys. Don't, you know, don't string me up for what those guys did to you. I didn't do any of that shit. Because at a certain point, she's just emotionally manipulating you. She's just making you dance. By tormenting you with, and, and, and you know, saying, "Oh, Aaron said this," and blah, blah blah blah, and now I feel insecure, and then you feel it's like, do you need this grief? Is she the last female in North America? No. You need to tell her. You know, this Aaron dude is bad for you. He's undermining your relationship. He's bad for us, and so we can date. We can be together, and I'll keep being. The good guy that I am and good to you, or you can hang out with Aaron, but it can't be both. Is Aaron her parasitic twin? Is she attached to him at the hip? She has college classes with him. Mm hmm. And so it's not like she can super avoid him, but. Does she see him outside of class? Just when, just when she needs uh, him to pick up alcohol. <laughs> Uh, that's charming. Um, I went to college with all sorts of people that I never had a single conversation with. I had classes with all sorts of people that I never spoke to. Uh, certainly didn't speak to about the dude I was fucking mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So if she can't manage to do that for you, if she can't prioritize your relationship the way you've prioritized this relationship and not hang out with the person who makes her feel insecure about you, yeah. then you need to end it because that's proof that she's just trying to fuck around with you and manipulate you emotionally and keep you off balance and make you upset because it reassures her in some sick way because then she has all the power and you're the miserable one 
And that's sometimes a tack that people who were made miserable by previous boyfriends or girlfriends take. But you know what? You don't have to put up with it. And you shouldn't. Yeah. Okay? All right. Talk to you later. Hi, Dan. My name is Mary, and I'm a professional escort in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, first off, I want to tell you I'm a big fan. I love your show, and it's given me a lot of great advice. And um, it's also a lot of fun to be a prostitute in the nation's capital. I just hope the next administration is, um, is hornier because uh, this one's very repressed. Anyway, my question for you is in regards to men and condoms. Um, obviously, being a escort, I'm very, very uh, into safe sex, and I'm very careful all the time. But I run into the continuing problem of men losing their erection, um, becoming very frustrated. Um, I spend a lot of time basically just trying to get the condom on. It doesn't. They lose their erection, and then we're, you know, they're frustrated. They they don't feel like they can function. So I have to pull back and try something else, do oral, and it it just gets them really, really upset. And I I really care about my clients. I know it sounds silly, but I'm I'm a very understanding person. I'm I'm also interested in being a sex therapist. I've started taking classes, and I, I want to help these guys. So I tried to tell them maybe to masturbate with condom on and see if that'll help them, you know, to get used to coming inside a condom to get used. And sensitive in a condom. I had someone tell me to put lube on the tip when you put the condom on. That helps sensitivity. I just wanted to see if you could give me any tips, any advice, anything else to help with the condom problem. As a compassionate DC hooker and a budding sex uh, therapist, uh, I would hope you would already know about the thing I'm going to suggest next. If you've, you're doing all the right thing, a little lube in the condom, asking the guys to jerk off with condoms on every once in a while just so that a condom doesn't come to mean a big loss of sensitivity. And also you should be putting it on not right before the moment of penetration, but well before uh, and as part of foreplay. But I'm sure you're doing all that. If With certain clients that doesn't work, none of that works. You know, some people have hang-ups, some people have phobias, some people have things they're never going to get over. You might want to try the femidon or the femdom, which I refer to in not in any way a gynophobic manner as the trash can liner. It's the condom that you put into the orifice you're going to fuck and then you leave it there and then you the guys don't even feel like they have a condom on. Um, they're made out of polyurethane. Uh, they work. They're very effective for disease prevention. They're even in some ways more effective than condoms because they have a sort of uh, wide brim or lip that'll cover part of your vulva uh, and may protect you from HPV or herpes or uh, other skin-to-skin bugs that you don't want to get. Um, you can use them in butts. That's why I say there's something gynophobic about calling them trash can liners because butts can be trash cans too. Uh, and I've used them and they work and they're fun. And uh, certainly for guys who have hangups about having condoms on their own dicks, they are the revolution and you should uh, invest in a case. Hey, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old gay man who's never had an orgasm in front of anyone. I came out when I was 25 and I've had about a half a dozen sex partners and while I've become more comfortable with sex over time, I still cannot come unless I'm by myself. I've been dating a guy for the last two months, which is the longest I've ever dated anyone, and he recently told me that sex with me is too complicated. So I was wondering if you had any advice on working through sexual anxiety. Hello. Hey, it's Dan. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good. I just listened to your message. You've never had an orgasm in front of another human being, ever? Ever. 
And how long has this been going on? Uh, Always. I was 26 <laughs> or 25. Oh, you didn't start having sex with anybody else when you were 25? Yes. Okay, so you were a late bloomer in all sorts of ways. Hey, you could say that, yeah. And you were set in your masturbatory habits well before you had another human being in the room. Yes. Uh, how do you masturbate when you masturbate? What do you mean, how? Like, eyes clamped shut, face down on the mattress, face up? Uh, usually face up. Um, I mean, I, I would think I masturbate the way that everybody else masturbates. <laughs> <laughs> um, just uh, with different shit nothing, playing no, in your head. Nothing, nothing special, just, yeah, different shit playing in my head. And this is so obvious a suggestion that I'm sure you've gone there already. Have you attempted to masturbate in front of someone else? Yes. And that did not work? No. And Can you get hard? I'm, yes. Like, see, when I first when I first started like having sex, I actually had a really hard time getting hard once the sexual activity started. Like kissing and everything was fine, but once I once we started taking clothes off, things like that, mm -hmm. I I would lose it. Lose you would get performance anxiety and then yeah. lose your erection. Yeah. You start so to worry about losing your erection, so you lose your erection. Yes. Okay. So now I don't really have that problem so much, but when like I just can't like I'll. I'll try my best to like jerk off in front of somebody or mm -hmm. with them, and just nothing really happens. Okay. Well, I actually wrote, wrote a column about this recently and, and made some suggestions to a lady that totally okay. apply to you. Um, okay. And, and the thing to do is to have the person in the room without letting them actually sort of be in the room in an intimidating way. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, you were not sexually active for a very long time and got set in your ways. Uh, and also, all of your orgasms were solo, and you probably have this association psychologically between being absolutely, utterly alone and having an orgasm. And just as it took you some time to get over the you know, performance anxiety around maintaining your erection with someone else in the room, uh, it's going to take you some time to get over this. But here's the first thing that I would do if I were you. Uh, I would get a couple of iPods, uh, a couple of blindfolds, and a roll of duct tape. Okay. And I'm absolutely serious. Uh, not so serious about the duct tape, actually, but the the pair of blindfolds mm -hmm. and the uh, uh, and the and the iPods. And, and the first thing you need to do is like masturbate with the other person in the house mm -hmm. or the apartment. Mm -hmm. Mas try masturbating with them on the phone, and then work your way up to having them in the room. And you can free yourself from performance anxiety about whether or not you're going to come if they don't know whether or not you came. Okay. And you're not going to let them know whether or not you came, right? Yeah. So put the boy, friend, if you have one, uh -huh. in a chair in the bedroom, put a blindfold on him, tell him to shut up or duct tape his mouth shut, and plug him into an iPhone or an iPod and then lay down on the bed and beat off. Okay. And if at first it helps, turn him away from you so he's not even, like, pointing at you and ignore him. Try to block him out. And then gradually bring him closer, eventually take the earplugs out so he can listen, maybe, mm -hmm. right? And work your way up to, you know, when, you're, when you reach that point of no return, and I'm sure you've been beating off for a long time and you know where that point is. Yeah. Like, leap out of bed and go come on him. Okay. Like, really start to bridge the gap, psychologically, you know, and slowly, like, beat off a couple of dozen times with him in the room facing away from you with a blindfold on and headphones on and he can't hear you or see you. You're alone. But there's somebody else in the room breathing. And maybe you won't be able to come the first few times. He doesn't have to know that. But eventually yeah. you will. It's about concentration mm -hmm. and association. 
okay. you'll get there. And, you know, gradually bring him closer, take the blindfold off, but make him face away, or leave the blindfold on, come on his face a few thousand times. Mm-hmm. You know, do it with a blindfold on yourself, that might help too. Okay. And then eventually he'll be under you and you'll be blowing loads on him. You may have, you know, jerked yourself into a corner where you're always going to have to be the one who finishes yourself off. Yeah. yeah. But that's okay. Like, I, I do feel like I have kind of a decreased sensitivity. Right. Like, in, in my penis. So it's like, I find that I generally, when they're doing something to me, it does nothing for me whatsoever. Right, because you know your hand so well and your yeah. hand knows your dick so well. And there's yeah. only one solution for that. But you might want to mm-hmm. kick that down the road for a ways. Okay. Which is, you just stop masturbating. Okay. And eventually your dick will resensitize itself to other stims because your dick will be so desperate. I and your balls okay. so full. And your prostate so swollen that your dick okay. will leap on anything to get off. Or you can accept, like, some women, you know, who are getting fucked, they always need to, like, have their left hand or right hand drift down and finger their clit to push them over the edge. You might be that, you know, you might be the equivalent of that as a guy. And some guys just are and just need to, like, be chill about it and accept it if that's who you are and you don't want to work on it. Okay. But you can totally come with someone else in the room if you can come when you're alone in the room. Yeah. Well, that's what I figured. <laughs> and it's fun. Like, the whole thing I just described, if, like, the guy's, you know, GGG, he's good giving in game, mm-hmm. like, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Okay? Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Good luck, man. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name is Ross. I have a daughter um, who is gay. Um, she's in the foster care system, and we've taken her in and have uh, had her happily in our lives for almost a year now. Um, she's come to the conclusion that she is gay, and we're supporting her. Um, and we were just wondering, she's having some uh, terrible conflicts in her life internally because of her religion. She was um, a born-again Christian and um, from the family that she came from who abusive and uh, now she's struggling with the idea that she's gay but she's also going to hell so we're just wondering if you my wife and I are wondering if you could guide us in the direction of some good books some things that help her with the conflict that she has inside um, we of course just want the best for her and for her to be happy and all that great stuff hello hey it's Dan Savage hey Dan how are you I'm good how are you can you talk I sure can yeah First of all, thanks for uh, adopting through the foster care system. There's way too many kids in the system who needs homes, so good on you. Thanks. And uh, thank God, or whatever, that this gay kid was adopted by you and not uh, another set of fundy Christian fuckwits. Yeah, we feel kind of lucky to have a part of our lives, too. So. Uh, and one day she will get down on her knees and thank the God that hopefully she no longer thinks exists that she wound up in your home. Um, <laughs> in the meantime... Yeah. There are groups out there, and I'm, I'm sure you're tech-savvy enough to Google gay and evangelical yourself. Sure. Um, but there's a group called Evangelicals Concerned, and their, oh. their URL is ecinc.org. Um, and if you're looking for books, I would recommend Stealing Jesus by oh, Bruce wow. Bauer. Bruce Bauer, Stealing Jesus. Stealing right. Jesus, How Fundamentalism Betrays Christianity, and he's a gay author. And also Virtually Normal by my buddy Andrew Sullivan, uh, who is a practicing Catholic, has a, a lot of discussion about reconciling uh, homosexuality and religion. Great. Um, you Great. might also want to expose her to, you know, books about atheism, to Richard Dawkins, to Sam Harris, to Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. 
Because one of the things that religion tends to poison in gays is their own uh, perception of themselves and their worthiness. Yeah, yeah, we're really struggling with that right now. And when we, she and I discuss religion, um, being a pretty liberal-minded fellow, uh, she feels like I'm really pressuring her. And I say, hey, I've always told her that if her faith is that faith is extremely important to everybody, and that if that's what sustains her, that's great. But I would rather her not have one that tore her down on the inside. Right, and she doesn't have to have one that tears her down on the inside. I, it, it's totally understandable that at her age and having been through what she's been through, that she's going to cling to whatever she has in her life that's been a constant. And right now it's her faith. So, you know, maybe I take it back. Don't give her Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris. You know, just give her Andrew Sullivan and Bruce Bauer and turn her around to this gay evangelical group. Because um, you don't want to seem like another adult who's just trying to fuck up her life. You know, sure. maybe this is the rock that she needs for now. She just needs a new way of sitting on it or looking at it. Uh, and there are certainly pro-gay uh, evangelicals out there and pro-gay Christian interpretations of the scripture. And if she wants to hang on to it, to, the, to her faith and to Christianity, she can, and also let go of the condemnations and let go of the whole hell rigmarole for the homos. That's possible, and you can lead her there. Great. Well, I'm a huge fan of Andrew Sullivan and read his blog every day, and I've talked to her about him, but I have never directed her towards uh, his his uh, blog, so I don't know why I haven't done that, but that's a great a great idea. Virtually but normal, and also Bruce Bauer stealing Jesus is will, I think, be very helpful for her. Okay. Fantastic. She's a great kid. She's graduating from high school a year early, already accepted to college. She has a lot of great things going on in her life. It's this one thing that's really plaguing her right now. So this will be a great direction for us to go. Good luck. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Sure thing. Before we sign off, we have a couple of emails this week I'd like to read. Uh, they're in response to Alexander Wolf of Information Week, who uh, a columnist there who declared the podcast medium dead. Dead! Dead and corrupt and gone and awful and over. Uh, and his evidence was, of course, the popularity of the Savage Lovecast. So I'm responsible for the death of podcasts as a medium. And David writes, I know you don't need me to tell you this, so I'll simply agree with you that Alexander Wolf is obviously full of shit, and his suggestion that Savage Love is the death of podcasting is bullshit. Yours is the one podcast I never miss, although I also never miss Leal Lapator's or Leal Laporte's This Week in Tech podcast. They are not, as Wolf suggests, mutually exclusive. It is possible to love both sex and technology, though we know that for some tech fetishists, sex is a spectator sport. Thank you, Dave, for your email. And we got one from Courtney. It's a little wordier and more sort of college. Dan, just listen to the podcast. Thanks for all your wisdom. It is interesting that Alexander Wolf believes the podcasts are dead simply due to the popular content disseminated in this medium. I am currently in a seminar that declares the death of the American culture, the death of the American culture, due to its fascination with television and the internet, amusing ourselves to death by Neil Postman. It claims that the medium through which any content is relayed ultimately changes the intended message. What I find fascinating about your column is that its message is consistent and ultimately improved with your ability to utilize print, internet, and podcast which i consider the new radio thank you for providing an example as a message that is consistent across all mediums wolf is ultimately wrong in his assumption that podcasts are dead especially in the case of savage love if anything your column is weakly proof that the podcast is a versatile medium through which content is consistent to the print form yet improves its service to the public as a sex positive educational segment with interactive capabilities 
Wolf should read up on his American culture mediums before accusing before accusing any medium of being dead. Thank you for bringing the podcast to a new level, Courtney. Thank you, Courtney. I think I don't quite follow everything else in the letter, but I think it's complimentary all the way through. But maybe you're doing some. I went to college rhetorical jujitsu, and it's all a big fat insult. And I just couldn't tell. But I'll take the compliment. That wraps up this week's podcast. 206-201-2720 is the number. If you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, please try to keep your question to under a minute or two and leave a phone number where we can call you back. We promise not to broadcast your phone number on the podcast. And you download the Savage Lovecast every week at www.thestranger/savage. Uh, have a nice week, everybody. And we'll be back at you next Tuesday with another installment of the podcast.